line and we uh, oops oops wrong button wrong button three two one and we are recording with mr john o'neill and it's both the dancer and the devil stalin pavlova and the road to the great pandemic which when you first started it i wasn't entirely sure how you were going to get to the end but now that i'm finished with it with it it's actually a, a it's a, a to be excuse the pun it's a beautiful dance i wasn't sure how you were going to do it because i've interviewed tons of bioweapons experts i've interviewed tons of world war ii historians and i, I wasn't sure how are you going to do it but so it's not to give it away please introduce yourself to all the new listeners for sure tommy i i you know as 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 my deal reflects i'm a Naval Academy graduate from an old Navy family. I went to Texas law school. I finished first in my class. I was a law clerk at the United States Supreme Court for Chief Justice William Rehnquist. I practiced law for almost 50 years. I represented the uh, People's Republic of China in the first large litigation they ever filed in the United States. Mm -hmm. I represented them for four years. Uh, They then slaughtered the little kids at Tiananmen Square, and so I refused any further representation of the People's Republic. I published, uh, this is the third hopeful bestseller that I published. The first book was number one. Uh, The last book has been a bestseller as well. Uh, I wrote the book. Really, what happened, the story of how the book came about is important. We began, I wanted to tell the story of people that were killed by the Marxists because there were so many in the world. I'd seen so many in Vietnam and in Hong Kong, and I thought maybe I could do that. Well, the the very first story that pops up, of course, is this one of the sweetest, most wonderful women in the world, Anna Pavlova, the world's greatest dancer. Um, No one ever knew exactly how she died. She said she was poisoned, but no one ever knew how or why or put it all together. And so I began the book by putting that together. That was uh, the Marxists have killed perhaps 60 million human beings. And Stalin said in 1944, he said that killing a million people is only a statistic. It's killing a single person that can be a tragedy if it's discovered. And so I thought if I took Anna Pavlova and told her story, everybody who's ever written about her loved her and her murder, that that would tell the whole story. That took me in to Stalin's terrible creation, Laboratory One. Laboratory One was a poison lab. Stalin had to poison people who were prominent, like Anna Pavlova and others inside the Soviet Union. From there, uh, the book was going to be written. I, I then ran across Ken Albeck's book, who you have a podcast with. Biohazard it never ended with Stalin. And that was shocking to me. And so I read Kenneth Albeck's book and put in the Soviet part. And then I learned that it didn't end with Ken Albeck leaving there, that Putin went into full skier and that he has a bioweapons program in Russia that is in fact the the biggest bioweapons program in history. Okay. As I did all this, I got tracks over and over and over again that China had a bioweapons program from communist days. And I I honestly was going to put it aside and just write the book and submit the book for publication with just Anna Pavlova, Putin, and and Stalin. 
But once I got into COVID-19 happened, it was evident in five minutes to me what had happened. It was the same leak at the bio-war labs that occurred over and over again in both Soviet and Chinese history. So we wrote the book like it, like it was. We took the book to publishers beginning last May, last March, April, May, a year ago. And they said, uh, look, we'd love to publish the book, but we cannot and will not publish anything about China. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? We will not publish a book that goes into the origins of the COVID-19 virus. And they would then ask, hey, what really happened? Because they were interested. So it took us a while. In the meantime, in May of 2021, my co-author, Sarah Wynn, handled all of our evidence, all of our, which we had assembled uh, in the cloud, all of our manuscripts. She woke up and learned in May of 2021, after our manuscript was in circulation, that her computer had been opened at four o'clock in the morning when she was sound asleep. Crazy. Um, we contacted the FBI. The FBI said, I should also say she had another website and it was being hit repeatedly with views from China. When we contacted the FBI, they recommended getting a forensic expert. We did. While the forensic, after the forensic expert imaged her computer, someone else went in again, destroyed all manuscripts, all evidence, and everything in the cloud. Fortunately, Sarah had actually uh, copied this stuff on a hard drive, so they were unable to destroy it. These were the, not our conclusions. These were the conclusions of the forensics expert whom we have a written report from. Um, so the Chinese don't like our book. Um, you know, uh, President Xi, I think it's fair to say, is not enthusiastic about our book. And um, that, of course, makes the book a particular delight for me, given all the millions of people who have died as a result of COVID-19. Well, when you're getting censored, you know you're doing the right thing. That's it. Exactly. Exactly right. Um, when you see the tremendous efforts made to stop this book from being published, uh, down to Amazon it develops, has 40% of their goods come from China. Yeah. Amazon literally has a deal with the Chinese communist government that they will not publish anything, not permit any <laughs> comments that are critical of President Xi. So our book comes out, it's selling pretty well, it's up to number 17 on Amazon, and there are no comments on the book on Amazon. I mean, there are no reviews. There's not, I hate the book, I like the book, there's nothing. <laughs> Amazon wouldn't permit reviews of a book critical of President Xi, and our book is certainly very critical of President Xi. Well, hey, <clears throat> let's do a critical review of the book right now. I listen sure. to it. They can't ban. I'm already banned from YouTube. So we'll do the critical <laughs> review that you're not allowed to see. It's a fantastically written book. It starts with uh, the ballet dancer and it, it slowly mo it, it weaves its way into the mysterious deaths of uh, Russian ci uh, citizens as far back as what was it, 1917, 1990, 1919. And how, um, right. Any, any, any dumb idiot can kill someone. It takes a master to have a natural death. So they start going into all these different, Annie Jacobson talks about it in her book, Surprise, Kill, Vanish. She goes in the United States as well as the Soviet sort of black ops programs, how to kill people, how to disfigure them. Do you want people to know that they were killed? Something like Polonium 210 
or do you really want it to be hush hush it was an accident and then how these things have grown and grown and grown was why stop when we're you know on one hand when we're building these this thermonuclear armageddon stockpile of things to wipe out the earth and then we have these little things for surgical remover removals well why not play both play both sides let's turn this thing this this surgical tool let's turn this into a into a a relative nuclear bomb of chemicals that you could wipe out the earth with and you'd have to have your own vaccines against it that's what dr kurt bloma in the third right called the sword and the shield and all along doing these things you then have to wonder it's only a matter of time before there is an accident we've seen accidents with with nuclear research chernobyl three three mile island fukushima those weren't really nuclear weapons right well there and then there was a uh, castle bravo that was a an American thermonuclear device that went up, it was 300% its normal yield. Why wouldn't a mistake jump out from a lab? And is it intentional? Who knows? But maybe it was never, let's, let's give the Chinese the benefit of the doubt, which I don't want to, but for the sake of the argument, we will. If they were building one of these labs to compete with Russia and America, that's something they would do. And it hopped out of the lab. And now we're dealing with this. That's my review on the book that apparently you can't have on Amazon. It's well-written. The narration's great. It's easy to follow along. And you can listen to the book in about two days. And all of your sources are cited. Thank you. Uh, the, there's, the, my quick, there's my quick review. Well, it's uh, true. It, there are 700 footnotes on the book, basically. Of course, the book is written almost not cold, I hope, but written at, le at least as well documented as a, as a legal brief, uh, precisely to stop the Chinese from being able to argue that it didn't happen. It has, uh, it has a bunch of leaks in it that have all been hidden from the West in 1938, uh, the leak at Saratov um, that almost killed Stalin. It has the leaks that Kenneth Albeck disclosed in his book in 1972 and 1979, the, the uh, terrible leak at a mm -hmm. may not have seen is on the internet. Now there, somebody has actually gotten a journal of the people who worked in the bioweapons projects. And it's sort of like being in the 101st airborne, they put together a journal of the good old days in the bioweapons project. And it has stuff in there like, do you remember how silly it was that we had to kill all the dogs at a cotton bird and pretend that the that the uh, <clears throat> that you know the anthrax came from them when it was really just our own anthrax plume? Um, and then, of course, uh, it goes on into into the Great Leap in China in 1977, which was hidden from the world until 1994, and the Chinese virologist who disclosed it then died suddenly after disclosing it amazingly and it is a pattern really for what happened here in 1977 they had taken the 55 virus they had uh a covid virus i mean a uh, flu virus and they had actually uh kept it in a laboratory in 77 they were trying to produce a uh, not a cure but a, a vaccine for for it so that they could use it as a bioweapon and as their um, head of the virology program says, it just got away from them. And it's very likely, you know, man is fallible. And 
um, of course, it's very possible that, that the Chinese communist government would release this. I just don't think they would have released it at Wuhan in the time and way. I, I think that ultimately they will and probably have released bioweapons. Um, I think that it's very likely here that they were developing this as a bioweapon and that it was, uh, they were in vaccine tests and it just got away from them. Again, of course, 18 million people died, but I guess that's just the breaks. It's just as Stalin said to President Xi, it's just another statistic. Yeah, and it's um, the reason why. You know, I, when I whenever I give the benefit of the doubt, it's it's for the intellectual value of of playing devil's advocate. It's not because I believe it. I don't. I can't really give the Chinese the benefit of the doubt. I mean, with their, their open declaration of of wanting to replace the West, of unrestricted warfare, through the Belt and Road Initiative, through all means necessary. You have a president before before him, like him or not like him, who's waging a tariff trade or tariff war against them for the first time in God knows how long. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do something that brings it all to a grinding halt? The U.S. economy, the global economy, it took out, as you mentioned in your book, it brought it brought one of our aircraft carriers offline. Now, it, it, was that the per- perfect time to do it? I don't, I don't know. I guess you'd have to war game that out to see if it would have been more effective six months earlier or later. But yeah, in terms of just face value damage did to the world, I, th- I think that the that China got a quote unquote profit. They were damaged too, but they were less damaged. He was. Uh, it was actually a pretty good time to do it. I don't. I personally think it was released by mistake in vaccine trials, but the Qi government was facing uh, actual demonstrations in cities in China. Oh, yeah. Um, Hong Kong. It's the first first episode of this podcast. And in Shanghai and in Hong Kong in particular. And so a a deal where you drove everybody into their houses where there couldn't be any more in the streets. It's just a sort of very convenient, isn't it? This the first episode of this podcast. This is episode 858. Episode one is called the Hong Kong protests. It's December 12, 2019. And it's me and my buddies talking about, huh, I wonder what's going to happen. Do you think they're going to roll in the tanks? And then COVID starts happening. We're like, oh, this is convenient. Well, they had, uh, you're going to just deviate a little bit. I, uh, I represented the Chinese for four years. I got to know a lot of people in the oil ministry. The oil minister actually was at our house and, and I got to really like them. Um, they were people trying to rebuild a country that had been destroyed by the Maoists. That's who they really were. Um, sure, they, they were communists, but they, were in com- they believed in communism just to, as a way of rebuilding a fallen country. And what really happened at the time of Tiananmen Square is the regular guys, the people you would have liked, that I liked, they all got killed and they all got driven from power. The prime minister president of China was removed. The head of the Communist Party was removed. Um, Deng Xiaoping, who had, who had been the one who really brought China out of, a, out of an incredibly crude situation, he was isolated and the hardliners took over. And then it slowly got worse and worse and worse. And in 2013, this madman took over China, Xi, and Xi is evil beyond words. Uh, Xi has engaged in purges in China 
that China has never seen since Mao days and that the world has never really seen and slaughters like the slaughters of the Uyghurs in, in Western China. But inside China itself, 24 of the business guys, lead business guys, they all just disappear, Tommy. That's what happens. They just disappear. Um, Fan Bingbing was their greatest movie star. And then Shang, and we tell the stories in the book. They, they simply disappear. And then sometimes they reappear and confess, look, it was all, we've done terrible things. Uh, like the tennis star who, uh, you know, was sexually molested by a high communist uh, official, the, the world's champion, doubles champion. And uh, she disappears when after she posts it. And then four or five weeks later, she reappears and says, oh, no, it was that wasn't me talking. I don't know what it's the typical Stalinist deal that's been going on since Marxist days for 70, 80, 90 years, 100 years now. Uh, in Hong Kong, Jimmy Lee, Jimmy Lee was the editor of the newspaper, a billionaire. He was really the founder of all kinds of stores in Hong Kong, um, named after him. And uh, he he became a, a Christian, amazingly enough, although <clears throat> he wouldn't leave. And so they basically told him, if you don't leave, you're through. So they've tried him and now he's disappeared. They're probably harvesting his kidneys as you and I speak. Um, these are brutal, vicious, uh, the most vicious and most brutal people that the world has seen since, you know, Stalin and Nazi days. You know, people often ask me why I, I still keep the American flag behind me. You know, it started because I, I love the United States. Sure. And it continued as I started to interview these these veterans, these Delta Force veterans, uh, Mike Durant, the Black Hawk Town pilot, Charlie Duke, the youngest man to walk on the moon. And you get you jacked up. But then, you know, you go through a summer of reading books about the CIA toppling uh, South American countries and the military industrial complex and Abu Ghraib. And it's a little more difficult to find pride in it. And sure, you could separate it and say, that's not what it is. Those are, those are evil pockets. But I found myself, especially in 2022, going back and forth on, you know, should I have this flag behind me or should I not? Because on one hand, I understand all the great things it stands for. My great uncle, my grandfather's brother was 18 years old on Omaha Beach. Like, it stand, that's what I look to. I don't look at corruption. I don't, I don't, when I look at this, I'm like, this doesn't represent the worst of the worst to me. But overall, my conclusion has been this when people ask, I know America has done some evil things, a lot of evil things, but I think we're the wor the least worst evil place to be. That's why immigrants still come here. And when I think about this, I think about your book and I've had people on here talk about organ harvesting that's going on right now in 2022. This isn't some old thing. This isn't some newly declassified. no, Uyghurs and Muslim concert Uyghur Muslims in concentration camps before they're killed have their organs harvested and sold while on the black alive. market while they're alive while they're alive viva section which was pioneered by who those boys at unit 731 in Manchuria so China's probably they, as you say they were originally victims because unit 731 under Shiro Ishii was attacking them but viva section picked up in vans in the middle of the night and then once your organs are gone, whatever, you're in a furnace or your, your soil. That 
is why mm. I still keep the American flag behind me because do we are there bad things? The Mylai massacre, sure, absolutely disgusting. Guantanamo, Abu Ghraib, gross. I'm a hundred percent with you. But man, there is no land of unicorns and rainbows. You have to choose the least worst place. And this is hands down the least worst place. And that's why I will continue to fly this flag because we, we are just coming out of talking about bioweapon engine, engineers selling organs removed from people while still alive in 2022. Sorry for that rant. No, you're exactly, of course, you're exactly right. I could, you know, I had um, two uncles killed fighting for our country in World War II and in Korea. I had a, uh, I had a cousin who reminds me a lot of you from Maryland, actually, um, right across from the Naval Academy, who died on the, on the, went down on the Scorpion when the Scorpion went down off the coast of Africa. One thing in the book that you, you, you can, when we wrote the book, it was such a sad story of people like Pavlova dying and Wallenberg and so on. But we realized what you've got to take from it is the lesson of these people. And the lesson of the people is that we all fight for human freedom. We fight for the dignity of human beings. We fight really for what's good and against what's evil. And that is their lesson, really. Their lesson is that you can look to their lives as an inspiration. You take a guy like Wallenberg, hell, he could have gone back home to Sweden and been wealthy. Instead, he sits around in Budapest and um, he sits and uh, saves maybe 100,000 Jews. And then when the Russians pick him up, they beat the hell out of him and he won't. He won't turn in the way they want. And so they use him as a rat in a poison lab and they kill him. And then they hide the fact they've killed him for 50, 60 years and finally won't even today release the documents. And there are a whole sequence of people that the book happens to go through since they've killed just in Russia, Stalin, 20 million. You could write encyclopedia after encyclopedia with stories of bravery of people who, who all fought. To me, that flag doesn't symbolize the hacks in Washington, D.C., whoever they may be, it really does symbolize human freedom and the quest for human freedom and, and the quest for what is right and more noble and trying to fill uh, what is what is good and what's noble, sometimes right, sometimes wrong. Um, but overall, always trying, at least with that being the far star that we're all uh, aiming for. And that, of course, is, is why I wrote the book. Um, Exactly, because I have grandchildren. I'd like them to grow up in a country, <clears throat> really, that does, is a democratic country, that it um, respects human freedom. I hope it treats people equally, um, at least legally equally. And uh, I don't, I don't want to be ruled by the communist or the communist Chinese or, the, or Putin or some other tin horn, whether it's Hitler or Putin or Stalin or... or uh, <clears throat> the Japanese emperor. Uh, <clears throat> that's not what we're all about. We are the last best hope in the world of freedom. And, and if we fold, the world falls. We oh, see Marxism taught now in all these college campuses. It's taught as an abstract ideology. But no one ever looks at the actual history of Marxism. That was the purpose of the book. Take a look at what it actually does in real practice. Because this is not... It's not the first kid on the block. Marxism ruled in the Soviet Union, you know, for 70 years. 
uh, has ruled in China for 60 years. The result has been slaughter after slaughter after slaughter of human beings. And it inevitably devolves, except when you have a, an exceptional person like Xi Jinping, it devolves into one man rule by one guy who, who sort of takes the place of God. He becomes, these days, a Putin is required to be called the ruler in Russia. Uh, President uh, Xi in China has huge statues of him, 60 feet tall, being constructed. Um, so they become kind of a, a god substitute in a totalitarian throwback to Genghis Khan and, and way back in the forest of history. And it will always manifest itself <clears throat> in new ways. And what we're seeing right now is we're just seeing the 2022 version of it on shadow banning, on censoring. You can't comment on the Amazon. You can't leave a review. Not, well, I was going to say, so you can't leave a comment on Amazon or leave a review, but you can come watch this video. Oh, wait, I'm banned from YouTube. I'm only on Rumble. But what that also shows you is where there's a will, there's a way, and you can keep pushing forward and you can fight back. But no, you have dangerous thoughts. We can't let your day. You might cause people to think. Ooh, I might uh, cause people to think. I, I, I a terrible thing. <laughs> I so I just I was visiting my my family up in New Hampshire and really wasn't paying attention to the news at all. And I was at the airport the other day on the way back. You know, seeing all this stuff about Netherlands farmer or what. And I'm not. I don't. I have no idea. But I do. I do look at it as someone with a podcast. I'm like, oh, there's a story. Because not everything I like right now, you and I are covering a book kind of topical with COVID, but sometimes I would just be covering a book about whatever. But every once in a while, there is a topical issue. And I like to maybe see if I can't get somebody on the ground there and we do an episode and they're great. The drawbacks are those episodes don't really have any rewatch value because it's kind of the news. But I was like, you know, like I got last summer at the Kabul Air Base uh, withdrawal. I, I ended up I got a I got a Marine at the air base to do the show and like i thought that was cool so i went on reddit and was like hey i just want to i was like if anyone in the netherlands like would want to come on here and just kind of speak your piece i purposely worded it like that i wasn't like do any of those farmers or you know nope no i just said speak your piece the overwhelming response was no don't give them a platform don't let them talk <laughs> and, and so I, and I, again i'm an indifferent person i'm a dude in maryland but I was like, no, why don't, why don't you either they make a good point or they make a fool of themselves, but, you know, just let it happen. And they were, no, 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 don't let them talk. And I'm like, guys, this, this is going to get us nowhere. If this is what this is just becoming the norm, just shut it down, silence it. Don't don't meet it with with equal opposition. Don't don't engage in the arena of ideas and of logic and value. Just just shut it down. Just shut it down. We can't, you just can't review the book. You just cannot review this book. You, I'm sorry, you just can't. You cannot watch this video. So yeah, now you have to go on Rumble, video alter, alter, an alternative video platform, find this video. Now you can get a review on the book. It's just, well, I'm the, talking in circles now, but. The way it all started was with uh, Gramercy. Gramercy was an Italian communist and he's the guy that conceived of um, Lenin and Marx uh, talked about and believed in the in control of the means of production. They thought if you controlled the banks, the property, and so on, 
that all the rubes would, would would see what a great thing communism was. Yeah, it's, that never worked out so well. And Gramercy in Italy, picked up by Stalin, said, "No, no, we need to control the mind of man itself. We need to control the language. We need he who controls the present controls the past. We need to change all of human history, the account of it. Uh, dancing has to be subjugated. We can't let some little." little ballerina dance the nutcracker my goodness there's their royalty royal people in the nutcracker she can't dance swan lake they're, you know we can't have a prince charming dancing around the stage and uh, therefore we've got to kill her if we have to and uh, that's exactly what they did stalin said uh, as the book relates that he was going to wipe out the word god he killed 175,000 priests in russia uh, who were uh, you know, Russian Orthodox priests primarily, but it's be because they're terrified of somebody exactly like you, Tommy. They're they're absolutely terrified of you. You see, you're a heretic, and that's uh, that's never never a, a happy thing to people whose beliefs are irrational. In all of human history, it's been the most feared thing that they could run into. And in all human history, you know who the coolest guys are. They're the they, heretics. There's no question they're, about it. <laughs> whether it's in 1950s, whether it's the leather jacket and the motorcycle and skipping class and listening to Elvis Presley, or whether it's being burned at the stake because you said the world isn't flat. It's always the heretics. That's how I'm embracing it because I'm not a cool guy. And now I get a chance to be cool. So I'm like, hey, I'm going down as a heretic. Like, yeah, yeah, my podcast is too dangerous for YouTube. Like, <laughs> hey, you know, that's that's got to spark the curiosity in somebody. Like, what is oh. it? What's that? What are they talking about? What's the forbidden knowledge? That's so yes, it's all forbidden. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> it's forbidden to know that that COVID came from China. Yeah, yeah. that they're these are, you know, these are the same guys that are funding uh, the Biden family. I mean, they've done some wonderful things for our for us. And meanwhile, uh, if we'll let them, they'll keep helping us a tremendous amount. Right. Uh, and you can pick it subject, but the theory is control the dialogue by controlling the language, control the actors, control the media, and don't let evil thoughts ever, ever get to, uh, you know, get to the public. And that way, that'll be much simpler. And uh, of course, that's exactly what's going on in the United States with uh, woke media. The theory is to try and hide what's actually happening. There is a um, <clears throat> there's a unique corollary. I don't know if that's the right word. Corollary. There's a unique aspect of uh, this sort of 1984 uh, supra corporo fascio statist machine of being able to like you know squat down all uh, squash down all stories right not only do you have from, like, from the government but you have the government and you know they control you know you could say operation mockingbird with you know the cia has their men in all the top news agencies and then all you need to do is control zuckerberg and uh sundar pachari and uh jack dorsey and, th and that right, right there you control facebook instagram uh twitter and youtube sure that is true. And that's terrifying. There's never at one, never at one time has so few people been able to control so many and what they see. However, that doesn't exist in a vacuum. 
that exists in a, so how do you control that many people? Well, you control what they see all the time. Well, what are they seeing all the time? They're seeing, they're, they're seeing their phone and their, their TV and their iPad and their, okay. Which means that the thing that they're using to see the thing you control is also able to create. So everyone has this on one hand, they have this 1984 screen looking at them and that's how you're able to pipe down the same lockstep messaging across the board. No one ever questions the party line, but the thing is, is you can turn them around and they've got these nifty cameras and microphones on them and you can go, Hey, I'm going to start a podcast. My name's Tommy and you can do it on an old laptop above your parents' garage and with persistence and nothing more than an email you can get to 857 episodes and you can interview guys that have walked on the moon and or interview Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough and Ken Alabeck. So that's, I guess, that's my silver lining to all of this. Well, you're from the uh, land of live free or die. Yes, sir. So you have no choice, my friend. You don't even have to reason it out like most of us do, but it, it, uh, oh, it, that's the base of it. True. No, the base, um, the base of it is I'm going to talk. And if you don't want me to talk, you're going to kill me. It's, right. that, it's that simple. That's, that's the, where the equation starts and that's where the equation ends. Well, it, it goes with your Irish heritage. I know. I, yeah. Thomas Patrick Kerrigan. You know, you know, the story, uh, there's a, a statue in England of, uh, of a uh, Irish poet and he was given a chance to confess. And instead he, uh, they didn't want to execute him, but he said, every day of my life, I've uh, prayed to God to drive the English out of Ireland. So they shot him after the Easter Rebellion. He was a great poet. And in, in uh, Dublin, there's a statue that says on the place he was killed that said, England lost a ball of lead. Here, England lost a ball of lead and Ireland lost a song. It's quite a quite a great uh, story. It's encapsulated in a, in a great poem called "The Gifford Girl," um, and he he actually was Ireland's greatest early poet, circa 1900. You know, the, so it's a tough deal being an iconoclast, um, but you have the purity of knowing that you're you're not you don't have to think what you just said because you're speaking the truth, and yeah. that's pretty great thing yeah it really is like yeah i mean i remember being in middle school and i had i had a buddy in middle school when we were like sixth grade i swear this guy was was decades beyond his wisdom it was weird it was almost like he was a time traveler just in general not like not like he knew who was gonna win a game or something like back to the future i mean he really had just wisdom which was odd because we're all 10 years old with braces but I remember him saying, he was like, you know, what's the point? Like, we have no great battle. We have no great depression to fight back against. We have no revolutionary war. We have no uh, keeping the nation from splitting into two in the civil war. We have no Nazis or Japanese to go after. Like, what is our fight? And I always thought, I was like, that is, I was like, you don't need a fight. But he was like, no, like you need a fight. That's where, because otherwise... Sure, we can live here and have toys and alcohol and, you know, die in pleasure, but what's the point? 
Well, yeah. I'm a lot older than you, and I can promise you that the people that reach the end of their life and have lived it just for themselves are very sad people. All of them I ever met. I, I met several that were billionaires that had inconceivable amounts of money. I represented a couple that were the wealthiest people in the world among them, and they were very unhappy. I've known any number of people that fought for what they thought was right. Sometimes they were wrong, but they fought for, and they almost all, as they trekked along, live lives that were self-fulfilling to them. Even if you don't believe in the big scorekeeper, and I do, I believe in the, the final scorekeeper. Big man, yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, I, I believe you go to the end of a hall and there's an old guy and he says, all right, Tommy, what did you do? Yeah. <laughs> and you're trying to explain and you go, well, I didn't really, I never knew the girl in Singapore. I don't know. I'm sorry yeah. about that or whatever. Um, but in meeting all these people, the ones who have lived fulfilling lives or live for other people and for ideals are the most happy people, even in this world. Well, and that's kind of how I view my life right now. It's like, I don't, I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have any pets. I don't really have any friends. You know, we, after college, university, everyone kind of goes their separate ways. Lawyers, no. doctors, they're, I get it. I, I understand that. I have no, I have no romantic ideas of like friend groups staying together. It's just, you get older and you go away. That's, that's what it is. Um, and sometimes I feel very lonely. Um, my family's not too far away. So I go get to visit them and I'm hoping to move back up there soon. But I do think, I'm like, what am I doing? The fact that like Dr. McCullough will reach out to me and be like, Tom, can we, uh, can I push my new book on your platform? Or that like Dr. Malone will be like, Tommy, we got to do an episode about this. And I'm like, here are these guys, the most like censored and like vilified non-persons and, and accredited doctors. And they're like, and they recommend all their doctor friends to me. They're like, Tommy doesn't give a shit. He'll have you on. He doesn't, he's already censored from everything. You can, sometimes they'll come on and they'll be like, you know, uh, they'll dancing around. And I'll be like, you can say it. What is it? Ivermectin? Like, go. And so like, but then it's like, for me, it's not even about bio, biology and bioweapons and biopreparat and, and Pfizer and, and all that stuff. For me, it's an even bigger thing. And it's just continuing to be able to speak even if you dif- disagree with someone, the second you like those Netherland farmers, I don't think you should have them on your podcast. Cause I, I'm just, they got nothing to say. Well, let them come on and let me hear their nothing. Maybe it is nothing. Maybe it's everything. But to me, that is, that's what gives all of this purpose to me is it's not just waking up and doing the pot because doing the podcast itself I mean, the act isn't that fun, right? You're turning on a camera and, and talking. That's, I mean, that's okay, whatever. But finding the guests, poking at the narratives, sometimes getting humbled and realizing how you were wrong, sometimes getting like, aha, I told you. But all the while, trying to show the importance of open discussion, that is worth it to me. And like, and I'm I'm happy with that being the purpose of my life at this point. Maybe one day I'll have another purpose, but right now I I know what I'm doing. I'm doing it peacefully. I'm not saying speak freely and go bop. No, I'm not doing. No, I'm not calling for that. It's I, no, I don't have a militia. It's just me. But I know what I stand for, and 
and I practice what I preach, as anyone on these podcasts can see. And I know deep in my heart I'm doing the right thing. No matter what anybody says, no matter how angry some comments are, no matter how much I get made fun of behind my back, I know what I'm doing. I know the importance of free speech. Can I also know, just like the forms of government you and I have been discussing for this last hour, I also know that when the freedom of speech, uh, speech goes away, the next thing coming, sometimes it takes a week, sometimes it takes a decade, is unimaginable holocausts. And so, hey, I think it's a good life. Tommy, the one thing I'd say is having observed, tried many, many cases and observed, nobody's ever afraid of a bad argument. People are afraid of a good argument. And as soon as you get someone suppressing speech, it's not because the argument is, is so wrong. It's precisely because the argument is so powerful and so right. Um, and that's, that, of course, that, of course, is the, the, the insanity of, of the woke suppression of speech. Um, you, you know, of course, we've always believed in the marketplace of ideas, let people hear everything and then make up their own deal. But I've tried a million cases. I was never afraid of a stupid argument. Yeah. Always afraid of a really great argument. Those are the ones that terrified me. Yeah. 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 That's exactly what it is. And so they don't, if somebody's tried to suppress you, it isn't because you were saying something stupid. It was because you were saying something that was that they really could not confound. They couldn't confront rationally and couldn't deal with. And so the easy solution was to try and silence you. Um, and that's sad. That's that's not how a democracy should work, you know, a free country and not how our country worked. And I, I don't think I don't think it's finished. I don't think. And, and that's a good and a bad thing. One, I don't think the censorship censorship's finished. I think they're going to dial it up even more in the coming months. But then I do think the whole thing will be finished. I, I don't know what what it will be. I could I couldn't possibly tell you what it will be. But I think Tuesday, July 12, 2022 at 2.51 p.m. Eastern time, I would say the censorship is no, there's no, no, no patterns, no signs are saying it's slowing down. It's only getting worse. I would imagine that, let's see, my first suspension was for talking about election fraud. My next three were for talking about COVID-19. My fourth and final was COVID-19. I've been off YouTube for almost a year now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> And now being on Rumble for a year. So I haven't been on YouTube for a year. But again, July 2022, I would imagine that future, I'm going to make predictions, future censorship uh, uh, violations will be uh, misattributing inflation numbers. I could see that being a thing in a couple months. Uh, you you know, you said inflation was 8.6. In reality, it's only a 6 point. It oh, could yeah. be it could be uh, money sent to Ukraine. No, it hasn't been this much. It's actually this much. <laughs> it will be about like um, more Hunter Biden, and I th- I think it'll be something like that. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And they're gonna they're gonna really start to wring the neck. And that is when I think it will break. I don't know what the breaking point will be. Is it some wild Donald Trump and Elon Musk come out and say something? 
Is it Joe Rogan has on Trump and and Biden together? I, I, I don't know what it will be, but there will be a cataclysmic event socially that I think will dissolve the censorship paradigm and then this will become a thing just like we we look back at myspace it'll be like do you remember that weird time when like everything was censored or i could be completely wrong the censorship machine might take over it's a technocratic dictatorship they're going to release bioweapons and they're going to harvest our organs <laughs> one or the other way they're still going to um <clears throat> try and manipulate public opinion they've got to do a much better job than they're doing right now doing terribly because the reaction to um the Boston Globe, to take an example, or the New York Times in most of the United States is what crap. Do they really think people are stupid enough to believe this stuff? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you saw the polling, which I happen to believe in. Saw which, the what? Uh, polling yesterday. And the question was, do you have confidence in television, in television news? Uh, 11% of the people do. You know, <laughs> the last, you know, there's always 10% that don't get the word. So they've got the 10% that never got the word plus one more percent. 89% of the people have no confidence. So they've lost total credibility um, precisely by trying to confine and produce messages that are unrealistic and ridiculous. Um, so understand that there are a lot of people listening that agree with you in, in this world. You're not, it's not a totally lonely fight. For one hell of a lot, most people agree with you. And there is still one good thing, and although it's the root of all evil, and it's money, money, money. People want to hear the Joe Rogan podcast. Spotify said, hey, all right, that fat nine-figure check, you come right on over. Tim Dillon, the funniest man alive, who makes $250,000 a month on Patreon, the highest paid Patreon member, he has recently had some of his stuff censored on. He does he does an episode every week? One on YouTube, one on Patreon. The Patreon ones are even funnier. He has his last two episodes have come with like warnings. He can't download them. These are hateful. You can see him starting to go. Okay, do I go exclusively Patreon because I get my money there? They're getting rid of my ads there. I get my money here. Money still walks, or sorry, money talks. All this woke bullshit. I did. Money talks. All this uh, woke bullshit walks. That is still the great equalizer. Rumble sounds like a great idea. It's an alternative video platform. Sure, there's bit shooting Odyssey, whatever. I'm on Rumble, and although not much, in 2022, I've made about $500 on it. Now, is that enough for even one month's rent? Absolutely not. But Rumble is looking at it like there are up-and-coming content creators who can't get a foot in the door on YouTube. In 2007, you get your foot in the door on YouTube. You stick with it. You're making millions by 2020. But there is, there's no longer a spot to put your foot in the door because it's such a toxic place. So I, be it Spotify, be it Patreon, or be it Rumble, I'm, I, make, I make like 20 bucks a month from, from Spotify. I make like 20 bucks a month from Rumble. I make like 100 bucks a month from Patreon. May not sound like much. A year ago, I was making about 20 cents on Rumble, 20 cents on uh, Spotify, and about $3 on Patreon. So it is growing. 
And I think what those platforms see is I'm just one guy. I'm just one guy who's grinding and who's working towards it. They're looking at it as like, we get a cut of it. The platform always gets a cut of it. And there's not one Tommy Kerrigan. There's probably 10,000 Tommy Kerrigans. Give them a place. And there are some people out there that are going, yeah, I don't give about, I don't care about this woke bullshit. Here's a platform to print money. Can you sell uh, content like your interview out of Kabul? Can you sell those to news networks and places like that? I think I could. No one's ever asked me. I never thought about that. You've got some amazing content. Thank uh, you. Reading the description, your, your guy that walked on the moon, the Marine from uh, Kabul. Those are amazing stories. All that. I've always, we tried to track down all that. You know, I could never find him. No, I've read his book and all and and got all that. Not an easy guy to locate. I don't know how the hell you. Very difficult. And and it was, uh, you know, I promise the first thing I'm going to do when I get finished is go on your podcast, look up the uh, Allbeck podcast and listen. It's 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 451, I think. 451. I'm going to go listen to it. You Um, should. But some of that stuff is very valuable that you've got. Some so, of it, but that's my point is at the end of the day, uh, money talks and someone somewhere wants a full Joe Rogan library. They want a full Tim Dillon library and they don't care what the woke people say. They don't care if there are people outside with their blue hair saying, take down the hate speech. They don't care. They're making the money. Just like in the 90s, all the parents, much like mine, all the conservative Irish parents are, you don't listen to Eminem. <laughs> Eminem Dr. Dre didn't care about them. They just printed the money because somebody wanted it. And that is where I'm looking at it is I think capitalism will ultimately kill censorship, which isn't idyllic. You'd like, you'd like for the, the pursuit of liberty to be the thing, but in a cold, hard, hard world, it could very well just be capitalism that strangles censorship. Well, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, the idea of censorship is incompatible with free competition. The, the heart of capitalism is always, you know, free competition. Yeah. And well, censorship just doesn't doesn't handle it very long in a capitalist society. Yeah. Really, um, you know, I've I've, uh, I've loved being on your show, and uh, I'm going to come back, on, man. I'm I'm now going to lo- re- listen to Ken Albeck. <laughs> oh, he's a he's a great he's a great one, man. His his accent's very hard to understand at first. How did you ever find him? Well, here, hold on. Let me. It's amazing he's still alive. So, so now people, I just I'm going to stop recording so that uh, I don't want other people hunting him down. Hold on. And... Oh, yeah.